can, can change a person's life forever. Absolutely. You know, whether it's a college applicant, hope, hopefully opening a, an envelope from a prestigious school wondering whether or not his, his letter of acceptance is in there or it's a letter of rejection. Or maybe it's a defendant standing trial waiting with bated breath for the judge to open the verdict and read it aloud. And hopefully it's going to say, not guilty! Sometimes it could be guilty, though. But see, other envelopes may not promise such significant things. After all, and you remember I said this too, how many thousands upon thousands of pieces of mail do you throw away every single year? I mean, each one of us, if we all brought our junk mail here, we could probably fill 50 bags or more of junk mail that we've thrown away. You know, it, it, every year we do that. But occasionally, occasionally, we get one that one of these pieces of mail that, that just stops us and we start to think about it. You know, maybe it's a letter from an old high school buddy or or maybe it's a, a company that has just sent you a job offer and you know, or maybe it's a package on the on the front porch that you just you just saw, and so you've been waiting for this package to come. Or maybe it's just a note from a friend or a family member or a spouse who's been away for a while. So we open those letters with such great anticipation and such excitement, don't we? It's not like that junk mail. Well, I get so sick and tired of that junk mail. You know, my, my neighbor, my neighbor up in Coga Station gets our mail for us and she puts it into a box in our garage for us. So that's where we keep it. So when we go, we get we, we might have a stack of mail like that for, for two weeks. And I'll go through it and maybe that much is something that's important. And the rest of it gets thrown in the trash. Unreal. So I can only imagine the anticipation and the excitement coursing through the believers of Thyatara. You know, when this letter carrier drops off an envelope signed and sealed by Jesus Christ. Now whether it happened that way or not, I don't know. But upon leaving Pergamum, which we talked about last week, this first century mailman or mailwoman, whoever it was, would have followed a Roman road traveling southeast through the rolling hills and the lush plains for about 40 miles before finally arriving at this military and yet manufacturing metropolis known as Sayatara. And I use the word, this term metropolis, fairly lightly because as Sayatara was actually the smallest of the seven cities to which Jesus sent a letter. And it's kind of interesting because even though it was the smallest one, despite its small population, Jesus sent the longest letter, the longest letter to this church at Thyatara. And unfortunately for Betty, she's the one that's going to have to read it today. So I've asked Betty to come on up and she's going to open our fifth letter and she's going to read what Jesus has to say to us this morning. As he said to the church at Thyatara so many years ago. So then come on up here and read it. Try to speak into that microphone so everybody can hear you. And read the whole thing. Okay. <laughs> Sunday, August 6th. 
2023. Dear brothers and sisters of the Cornerstone Church of Christ, I share. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like a blazing fire, and whose feet are like the burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who called herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of their ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations, and the one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. May God's love be made complete in us sincerely. The Apostle John. As I said last week, although these seven letters were, were addressed to, to us, they, they do, or they're not addressed to us, they do address the cares and the concerns and the crisis that, that are faced by our church as far as, and, and countless churches throughout the centuries. I mean, how many years old is that letter? couple thousand years old. And so it addresses the, the crisis and the cares and the concerns. The letter, at church, uh, that, the letter to Thyatira is, is absolutely no exception. And as always, as we begin this, 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 this message, Jesus begins by giving his credentials. He always seems like he always gives his credentials before he starts anything else. So he shares his credentials with the church at Thyatira. So Jesus refers to himself in this letter in verse uh, chapter 2, verse 18, as this. He says, as the Son of God, whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. That's how he addresses himself. You know, the, the, the Son of God, whose eyes are like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronze. You know, it might surprise you that this is the only place in the book of Revelation where the term, the Son of God, is used. Did you know that? You know, I think there's a reason for that. I do think there's a reason. If you remember back in, in the first chapter, in John's vision for the first chapter of, of Revelation, John refers to Jesus, he says, as the Son of Man. He talks about it as the Son of Man, but here Jesus changes that designation 
And he doesn't use the Son of Man. He, said, he talks about being the Son of God. Why do you think that is? Why do you think he changes it from the Son of Man to the Son of God? Well, I believe it's because Thyatira was the home to a special temple. And this special temple was in honor of someone. Does anybody know who it was? It was, it was in honor of Apollo. It was in honor of Apollo. Apollo was known as the sun god. He was known as the sun god. And he was supposedly the son of the primary god of Greek mythology, was who? Zeus. So he's the son of Zeus. So by using the title, the son of God, what Jesus was setting himself up to do is to be against Apollo as the rightful son of the true and living God. That's what he's telling the people there. So many Christians today are aware, and if you have children in here, you might want to cover their ears, that December the 25th, the day that we celebrate Christmas and Jesus' birthday was originally a pagan holiday, a pagan festival. Jesus wasn't born on December the 25th. And what you need to know, though, is this is that it was also the celebration of a birthday of a god. A little g god. You know who it was? It was the sun god, Apollo. That's who it was. And, and, and so, what is often overlooked is that the early church chose that day, December the 25th, intentionally. Why? You might ask. Well, rather than Christianizing a pagan celebration, what they did was they established a rival celebration of the birth of Jesus, who is the true Son of God. So while the world has all but forgotten the Greek, the Greco-Roman gods of antiquity, they are annually reminded that 2,000 years ago, Christ invaded time and space. Sorry, Apollo. You just didn't cut it. You just didn't cut it. Interesting, isn't it? So, the message for us today is this, is that a lesser God isn't going to last. Isn't going to last. Whether it's the God of money or the God of self or the gods of false religions, eventually, one by one, Jesus will dethrone every single one of them. Just as he dethroned Apollo and commandeered his celebration for himself. He's going to do that with every single God. Little Jesus. And so, Jesus backs this claim up when he says that he has feet like polished bronze and eyes like fire. He backs it up. You know, the bronze feet symbolize strength. That's what they symbolize. His staying power. You know, his eyes are fire, and they represent his ability to see through the surface, the facade, the fake. He can see through that. He can see through the gods of mythology, and he would outlast them. He can see through us as well. He can see through us as well. That's where it gets home, doesn't it? 
is that you think you're hiding from Jesus, guess what? You're not. You can't hide things from God. You're not hiding anything from Him. He knows which ones of us here are authentic and faithful, and He knows which ones are not, if there are any that are not. He knows that. Because He is the one true God. He is the one true Son of God, whose eyes are, are like flames of fire, whose feet are like polished bronzes, as Revelation 2.18 says. So after He gives his credentials, and before he expresses his concerns, what Jesus does here next is that he gives this remarkable compliment to the believers of Thyatira. He tells them in verse 19 there, he tells them this, he says, he says, I have, I have seen your love, your faith, your service, your, your patient endurance. I've seen all that. And I can see your constant improvement in all these things. He says, you're not only showing your love and your faith and your service and, and, your, and your, your constant, but, but you are improving in all these things. You're constantly improving. Wow. Folks, I can tell you how much I would love to be the one on the receiving end of that compliment. I would love that. You know, so unlike the believers in Ephesus, when they had lost their first love, the church at Thyatira is commended for their love. That's what they are. They're commended for it. This was a church family that understood what mattered most to God. They understood that. They genuinely loved God and one another. They were building relationships with each other, carrying each other's burdens, and experiencing fellowship with, with, with God and with each other at levels that I think most Christians will never even reach. And their love was continuing to grow. You know, a, a, Christian's, a Christian's highest calling, I think, is to live a life of love. You know, the Apostle Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Let me put that up on the screen there. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but not have but have not love, he says, I am a resounding bone or a tiny symbol. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can, can move mountains, can you imagine having faith that can move mountains? But do not have love, he says, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and, and give over my body to hardship, that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. That's the way Paul explains it there. So the believers in Thyatira got it. They understood. They had love. Love for Jesus, love for each other. They even had love for their own enemies. That's, that's how much they loved one another. And they expressed their love through service. Jesus said, and in, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 19, he says, I know your deeds. Remember way back to the first, the first one that we talked about? Where Jesus knows you. He knows us. Well, he says it here again. I know your deeds, your service. This was an active church. They weren't interested in just going to church. 
What they wanted is they wanted to be the church. They were ministering to their friends and their neighbors and glorified God all the while. That's what they were doing. And it wasn't just their loving service that was increasing. Jesus also noticed their faith. He, he noticed the persistence or their perseverance. He notices all that stuff. So the question is this, is your faith, in other words, your level of trust in or commitment to Jesus, is it showing constant improvement? Is your faith showing constant improvement? You see, there's lots, and Jesus made that point to help them. There's lots. They were learning to trust Jesus more and more and to not lean on their own understanding. And their faith was stronger and bolder as their relationship with Jesus grew deeper. And isn't that the way it's supposed to be? Isn't our relationship with the Lord as we as we come into that relationship with Him through the water gates of baptism? Isn't isn't that what it's supposed to be? That that we are to to continue to live out our life in, in faith and, and growing in knowledge and and continuing to grow and grow and grow until we come to meet the Lord. <laughs> And then he's going to, somehow or another, I believe he's going to let us be able to see all things. He's going to, with the things that he knows, I think we're going to be able to know that. But until then, these people right here in the, in the church at Thyatira were continuing to grow. They were, they were learning to trust Jesus more and more and not leave on their own understanding. Their faith was stronger and bolder as their relationship with Jesus grew. And they showed patience, patient endurance. In other words, they were dependable, they were liable, they were consistent, they persevered. Whenever the church doors were open, they were there. Whenever there was something that needed to be done, they volunteered. If there was a place in the church that had that was their spot that they were sitting, and their 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 rear end had, had molded to that, they would slide down to let you sit that spot. That's the kind of people they were. Well, I want to tell you something, folks. I want nothing more than for our church to be like the church at Thyatira in these ways. That's what I want. That's my desire. Oh, how, how I wish Jesus would say to us, I know your love. I know your faith. I know your service. I know your perseverance. I know you are doing more now than ever. And so I, I guess this is the thing that I think about. Let, let me ask you, do you think Jesus would compliment us as he complimented them? If he were to write a letter to the Cornerstone Church of Christ, would we find these words inscribed in Jesus' own handwriting? You know, if, if not... Then my question is this. What can we do to be more like this church, like that? What can we do if that's the case? I'm not saying that that's the case, but if that's the case, what can we do to be more like that? What, what can you personally do to multiply the love and the faith and the service and the consistency of our congregation? What can you do as an individual, personally? What can you do? To see if, if you know the answer to that question, then start doing it to the best of your ability. You can do that. 
But if you don't know the answer to that question, then come with and sit down and talk to me about it. Maybe we can figure some things out. I don't always have all the answers. Like my wife says I do. I don't always have all the answers. But you know what? I do have some suggestions. And, and if you want Jesus to see your love, your faith, and your service, and, and your perseverance, then what I say to you to do is this. Start with the easy things. Don't make it difficult. How many of you do to-do lists? I do a to-do list all the time. Every week I do a to-do list. How many of you put the easy things at the top? <laughs> they say in a to-do list, never put the easy things at the top. Always put them at the bottom. Put the hard things at the top. Always put the hard things at the top. Well, I'm going to tell you that if you want Jesus to see your love and your faith and your service and your perseverance, then start with the easy things, like being consistent with your church attendance. Don't come every other week. Don't come every three weeks. Come every week. The Lord has said to be in His house every Lord's day. Be consistent with that. Do the things that God has called you to do. If you're doing those things right now, do those things. Do those things with love and faithfulness and excitement. Don't do it out of drudgery. If you're doing it out of drudgery, don't even bother doing it. Knowing that you are doing these things for Him and no one else. You're not doing it for me. You're not doing it for Chad or Jerry or anyone else. You're not doing it for anyone else but the Lord. We don't count. Jesus counts. For you see, the Lord will notice your efforts and that's all that matters. That is all that matters. So next, what Jesus does is he follows up this amazing compliment of this church with some difficult criticism. Betty read that this morning. You heard it. Difficult criticism. You know, you would think that a church overflowing with love and faith and service and perseverance would be practically perfect in every way. But you know what the truth is? There is no perfect churches because the churches are made up of imperfect people. You know, it will always be imperfect. Here's what Jesus had to say in, in Revelation chapter 2, verse 20. He says, Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual morality and the eating of, of food sacrificed to idols. See, with all the good things that, that, that John wrote, that Jesus said about the church at Thyatira, you would think that, that, that they would be great. But the problem in Thyatira was that they tolerated this false teacher. Now, I want to clarify that. I don't mean that they tolerated a teacher who was honestly mistaken about something that they were teaching or for another. You know, mistakenly teaching something that is false does not necessarily make you a false teacher by what the Bible is saying here. 
You know, I, I can't say that everything that I have taught I really understood about or completely have all the knowledge about it. And I could be wrong sometimes. We all can be. But that's not what they're talking about here. Rather, what, what, what they're talking about here is that they were tolerating a woman, first of all, and a liar, first, second of all, who claimed to have a, the gift of prophecy, but she didn't. She was lying to them. She claimed to have this special revelation from God, and she used her false revelation to lead the church into this immoral conduct. That's what she was doing. So John, what he does, John tells us, in John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, what we need to do to test the spirit of falsehood. This is what it says. It says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God, every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. Already in the world. Keep it going. There's more there. Okay, there you go. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. You hear that? The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are, they are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to that. But we are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Hmm. Interesting. You know, in our passage this morning, on the surface, this Jezebel's teaching seems similar to that of the Nicolaitans mentioned in previous letters, but there was probably a very important difference between their teaching and her teaching. See, here's what's happening. Thyatira was primarily a manufacturing city. The city was filled with many trade guilds, which would kind of like be similar to labor unions. You know what a labor union is. For commerce such as cloth making and cloth dyeing and leather working and bronze working and pottery making. So in order to work in Thyatira, you had to become a member of one of these trade guilds, and each of these trade guilds had their own patron deity. In other words, their own pagan god. Each one of them. That they worshipped and expected blessings from. And so frequently, usually every week, that's pretty frequent, isn't it? The guilds would hold a banquet feast at their guild hall, which would be kind of like our civic center that centered around idolatry, including sacrifice of idols, and usually it would also include some sort of sexual entertainment, whether it's strippers or prostitutes or pole dancing. Holy cow. Whatever it was. And see, 
not to participate in these feasts would likely cause the believers, most of them tradesmen, to lose their jobs. So you see the catch-22 there? So this false prophetess was most likely encouraging the believers in Thyatira to continue to participate in the, in the pagan feast, in the immorality that they went, you know, that, that was going on there. She probably had some kind of a slick argument, they always do. You know, maybe she reminded the people that God's command, he, he commands Christians to work. He commands you to work. Certainly God doesn't want you to lose your job. Maybe that's what, that's what her reasoning was, I don't know. But whatever she said, she led many of them to commit adultery and other sexual immoralities, all in the name of some pagan God. That's what she did. So, as angry as Jesus was at this Jezebel, his complaint was actually towards the rest of the church who tolerated her. It wasn't towards her so much as it was what she was doing, and, and the church actually tolerated her trash. You know, he, he was furious that, that no one had put a stop to it. The church in Thyatira had, had the exact opposite problem that Ephesus had. Remember the church in Ephesus? They were doctrinally sound, but they were lacking in love. Thyatira was so loving and accepting that no one was willing to stand up to her false teachings. So listen to this, though. Just as law, listen to this, just as law without love is legalism, love with no law is just a license for immorality. Folks, truth matters. Morals matter. Love is supreme, but genuine love must always be balanced with truth. Isn't that what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15? He says this, he says, We will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. The Living Bible puts it this way, We, we will lovingly follow the truth at all times. You know, this, this kind of perverse moral teaching should never find its way into the church. But when it does, each one of us must be willing and responsible for stopping it. We need to test the spirits. This leads us to the final piece of Jesus' letter to them. It's his command to the church of Thyatira. And it's such a blessed command it is. Jesus tells them this in Revelation chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. This is what he says. He says, I, now, now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching." and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. I will not impose any other burdens on you. He goes on to say, only hold to what you have until I come. That's what he says. Another translation, the New King James Version says this, but hold fast what you have till I come. Hold fast to what you have until I come. You know, hold fast. Hang on. Keep on keeping on. That's what he's telling them. Remain consistent in what you're doing. Continue to grow in your love and your faith and your service and your patience. Don't give up. You see, for those 
who hadn't embraced this terrible teaching, who were willing to speak out against it, Jesus couldn't ask for anything more. They were filled with the love of God and for each other. They overflowed with their faith. They were serving one another daily. They were being consistent and dependable and reliable. And they were continuing to grow in all these areas. The only thing that Jesus could, could ask above, and above all of this was that they hold tightly to all these things. Keep it up. Keep holding on until I come. Hold fast. Hang on. Keep on keeping on. That's what he's telling them. But you know what? Society tells you to be tolerant when it comes to regarding some lifestyles. That's what society tells us to do. To be tolerant of different lifestyles. The world will tell you that you need to be more tolerating regarding sin. You need to, you need to tolerate that a little bit more. Some say that the Bible is out of date with society and, and the way of life today. You know, they might claim that what the Bible once called sin is now okay. But there's only one problem with that kind of thing. You know what it is? It's wrong! Sin is sin. Understand that. Sin is sin. God looks at your heart. He looks at your motives. In the Sermon on the Mount, we learn that sin is more of an act. It is also a matter of the heart. Remember, the enemy of your soul will try to seduce you into believing a lie. That's what he wants. The church is not to tolerate sin, but to confront it. We need to do that in love, of course. You don't take the 50-pound family Bible that you sit on the, the coffee table and beat someone over the head with it saying, you need to love Jesus. You don't do that kind of stuff. We need to approach people in love. But we need to call a spade a spade. If it's sin, it's sin. There's no wishy-washy stuff there. Every Christian needs to be reminded that they have not arrived yet. And I'll be the first one to admit that. I have am, I am not arrived yet. Until Christ comes again, you're not finished. Did you hear that? Until Christ comes again, you're not finished. There will never be a point when his church or his children have fully matured that they are no longer in need of growth in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, that's the, that's the problem with this false teaching of perfectionism. Because with the false teaching of perfectionism, they say, we've arrived. We can become sinless. We will never be that way until we walk across the thresholds and to Jesus' art will we ever be able to say that. We are not going to be sinless. Christians never get to retire from love, faith, service. You know, maybe you've been a believer all your life and you were very active and involved in the church when you were younger. But now you feel it's, it's your time to sit back and let others do the work of the church. I hate to break this to you. But you're not there yet. We can't do that. 
until Jesus comes or calls you back, you are here to be a shining example of love and faith and consistency, perseverance. You, you, you may have a different way. You may have to serve a different way. You know, you're not, you know, you might not be as spry and as young as you used to be. So you might have to find a different way to serve. You may, you may express your love and your faith and, and, and differently than you did when you were a new believer. But you can't stop growing. We cannot stop growing. Because what happens when you stop growing? When you stop growing, you start dying. When you stop growing, you start dying. And that could be both physically and spiritually. So we can't stop. We need to nurture our love for God and each other. We need to constantly be looking for ways to build our faith and help others build their faith. We need to continue to be the hands and the feet of Jesus for as long as we live. So in other words, hold fast, hang on, keep it up. Keep on keeping on. You know, when you, when you persevere in faith and hope and love and service to Jesus, you will grow deeper in the things of God and will accomplish greater things as time goes on. Maybe even greater things that you ever thought you could do. <coughs> Only genuine faith in Jesus and a lifestyle of obedience will, will, will confront a lifestyle of compromise and a lifestyle of tolerance towards sin. And that's what we need to do. We need to be able to confront that when it comes. Then we will see the reward to the one who overcomes, as the Bible says there in, in, in Revelation chapter 2. And, and for the one that overcomes and remains faithful, it's a twofold reward. Notice in verse 26 there. To the one who is victorious and does my will, to the end I will give authority over the nations. And then if you go to the second point there in, in verse 28, he says, and also Revelation chapter 2, verse 16 says, I will also give that one the, the morning star. The morning star. That morning star is referring to Jesus. The Lord wants to focus their eyes on the future to his return when the bright side of obedience will fully be realized as these faithful followers rule by his side in the coming kingdom. That's what he talks about there, to rule the nations. Even greater, however, will be the reward of the morning star, which is Jesus himself. The one whom they love, for whom they suffer, to whom they profess their, their love and their loyalty, will finally be theirs to open. Face to face, fellowship and joy will be theirs. So my question this morning is this. Where are you in your relationship? Has your love, your faith, your service, and consistency been waning? Has it been diminishing? Maybe you need to come this morning and rededicate your life to Jesus and this church. I don't know. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're, you're really struggling with the sin in your life that you need to turn over to Christ and, and let Him give you the victory over that sin. Maybe you are the one that's been in the trenches for so many years and you're tired, almost to the point of wanting to give up, please, don't. Don't give up. We need you. Jesus wants you 
Hang in there. Don't give up. You know, if, if there is any way in which we can help you take the next step in your walk with, or your continued walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to let us know. Jesus loves you just the way you are. But he loves you too much to just leave you that way. So my prayer is that the Spirit of God will lead you this morning or whenever to make the decisions that you need to make in your life. Don't wait. You know, we are not guaranteed tomorrow, are we? We are definitely not guaranteed. We're not even guaranteed the rest of this day, are we? And so this morning, if you have a decision that needs to be made, I'm going to ask the band to come up. And if you need to make that, then this time is for you. So let's stand with the band and let's sing. What can I do?